0: Good evening. It's good to see everybody here in person. Glad to have those of you who have joined us online. Uh, whether it's on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, uh, any one of those uh, social media platforms, be sure to like, to follow, to share there, uh, and then also be sure to subscribe on YouTube. Click that little notification bell. That way you'll get the, the uh, live feed every time it goes live. Uh, also, welcome to those who are on our phone live streaming, uh, and we appreciate you listening in on there. Also, if you need that number for anyone, please see me. I'll give that number to you, uh, or you can call the church office if you need it uh, from home. Uh, let me also encourage you if you have access there to the website hollandbaptistchurch.com go to the info tab it's there where you can download uh, this week's worship bulletin so be sure to get that downloaded Uh, lots of activities that are coming up we have the Children's Worship Bulletins that went along with this Sunday morning service. You can download those there if you need those in person. Uh, I think there's some still left in the windowsill over here to my right. And then also don't forget to download the prayer list. Wanna encourage you to be praying through that prayer list uh, for each and every person uh, that's on uh, that. And then also, just wanna remind you, you can do your online giving there on the church website. Go to the far right-hand side, click that Give Online tab. Uh, You can do your regular offering there. You can do your Annie Armstrong Easter offering there and encourage you to still be praying about giving towards that to help us uh, to reach our our goal for that. Uh, You can put it in this envelope also, but just be sure to designate that's what it's for. And then continue to be praying through your prayer guide. Even though it was a week's prayer guide, you can be using that uh, all month long to be praying through our North American missionaries. So just wanted to remind you of those things, to welcome you tonight. And uh, Brother Mike, if you'll come.
1: Take your hymnals and turn to 140. We'll be singing all four verses, Tommy. uh, 140, down at the cross.
0: I think I forgot to make this announcement this morning, but don't forget that next Sunday morning we'll be having our sunrise service, seven o'clock. Uh, it'll be in the parking parking lot part up now, by the fellowship hall there uh, outside. So I wanna encourage you to come for that at seven. We'll be having breakfast uh, right after that. And then uh, our regular service at 10.30. So come and join us for that. We will be having Sunday school in between too. But we won't be having any evening services next Sunday. So especially want to remind you who are online. We won't be here next Sunday night uh, in in person on the videos there. Uh, So take your Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 1 down through verse 39. I've entitled this message, The Seven And in fact, uh, you'll find out that there's actually eight that are there, but it depends on which version uh, you're reading from. And so uh, we're just going to begin with verse 1 down through verse 3. And so would you stand as we read God's Word in honor of His Word? Then Jesus said to the crowds and to His disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, So do and observe what they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word tonight. And we pray, God, that you will use it to stir our hearts. Father, we pray for those who may not know Christ as their Lord and their Savior. We pray, Lord, that that as we see and we're going to see in this passage, there are hypocrites in this world, people who profess to be something with their lips that they are not with their lives. And Father, I pray that those who don't know Christ would not let a a person like that keep them from going to heaven. Father, I pray that they would realize you love them, you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross to, to carry and to bear the burden for their sin, the penalty for their sin. And so, Father, I pray Pray that you'll use it to br- use this message to bring those who are lost to faith in christ but lord also to stir our hearts as believers to make sure in our hearts that we are not living a hypocritical life saying one thing but doing another so bless your word tonight and we pray god that you will bless your your hand at work in our hearts and in our lives in jesus name we pray amen you can be seated Let me just say this, more than any other human being who has ever lived without question, the one person that you would never want to get on their bad side is Jesus. When we look at this scene, we're faced with a confrontation that Jesus had with a group of people called the Pharisees. A confrontation that ultimately leads to his crucifixion, but one that the Pharisees never forgot. Uh, it may surprise you, as we'll see here, that, that Jesus would get uh, that angry with uh, these individuals. But that's exactly why we're looking at these, these verses here and uh, seeing this. Yes, Jesus was gentle. Yes, Jesus was meek and mild. But he could also be angry uh, and madder than mad. Uh, nothing made Jesus more angry than hypocrisy. In fact, in Matthew 23, we're going to read here that Jesus gave the most heated, the most verbal, the most visual and vocal dressing down, if you will, that he ever gave anyone, Uh, and it had to do with this issue of hypocrisy. Uh, So if you hate hypocrisy, you're in good company because so does Jesus. It's amazing, though, not just what made Jesus angry, but who made Jesus angry. Because think about it. I mean, think about it. He had 12 disciples, and one of those was going to betray him, Judas. When Judas betrayed Jesus, we don't read anything about Jesus getting angry. Peter, one of his other disciples, denied Jesus three times. Not once do we read Jesus getting angry with Peter for that. Uh, he, he didn't get angry. When the disciples turned and ran after the Garden of Gethsemane, when they arrested Jesus when he needed them the most, he doesn't get angry with them. Uh, when you think about Pilate, Pontius Pilate, who, who sold him out, he didn't get angry with him. When the Romans were beating him, when the Roman soldiers were beating him and spitting on him and crucified him, he, he didn't get angry. But the religious people, people who... who didn't who who talked the talk but they didn't walk the walk, uh, who valued their goodness over God's grace, who were more interested in rules than they were in relationships, uh, who cares more about their preference than people who were one thing in public but something different in private. That's what really lit Jesus up. You see it on display front and center here in Matthew chapter 23. He never talks to anybody else in all of the New Testament there uh, the way he does to the Pharisees. Uh, He had never talked to to anyone else the way he talked to them even uh, to this day. You, You talk about... Uh, just letting them have it, giving them a tongue lashing, if you will. He calls them names. He calls them hypocrites. He calls them children of hell. He calls them blind guides. He calls them fools. He calls them robbers. He looks at them and says, you know what you look like? You look like a whitewashed sepulcher, a a tomb. You look pretty on the outside, but you are empty on the inside. He calls them snakes. He calls them vipers. He calls them murderers. Now, other than that, he thought they were pretty good people. How do we know that? Because look at what Jesus said in these verses. He said in verse 3, he had talked about the scribes and the Pharisees. They said on Moses' seat in verse 2. And in verse 3 he said, so do and observe what they tell you. Uh, So, you know, today as we look at the, the Pharisees, we would call this kind of person a counterfeit Christian. And Jesus couldn't stand counterfeit Christianity. So as we study this chapter, remember it is one sermon, if you will, this whole chapter uh, is. It's the last public sermon that Jesus ever preaches before he goes to the cross. And it's one that we need to hear today and even never forget. Jesus was calling out hypocritical holiness counterfeit Christianity. Frankly, uh, this is not a seeker-friendly message, if you will. Uh, This isn't a feel-good message. This isn't uh, a best life now kind of message. But it's a message that everyone and anyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ, every church needs to hear. In this message, Jesus says there are three things that we need to do as we call out counterfeits, including the times we make counterfeit, Now, we're going to see seven woes here in Matthew 23. And they serve as a direct response to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Because remember what they've been doing in the chapters leading up to this? They've been questioning Jesus. Now, they've not been questioning to learn more. They've been questioning because they want to find Jesus and catch him in a trap. Uh, They're trying to entangle him uh, in his teaching. And and many of these woes will address directly the pretense of these religious leaders that they are teachers of others when they themselves are the ones who are in need of teaching. But these woes also stand as a contrast with the Beatitudes of chapter 5 in Matthew's gospel. Uh, there, there, the king's blessing was pronounced on his people in a series of, of nine benedictions, nine blessings, which contrast markedly with this series of woes in this chapter. And, and so it's a solemn chapter, uh, one in which uh, Jesus, who is the king, uh, puts a curse upon his enemies and is coupled also, though, with his lament, with his sorrow over the situation that leads to such a response so why does he pronounce these woes on the scribes and the pharisees well because as we said of their hypocrisy now this is an important concept in matthew's gospel uh, with words relating to hypocrisy appearing some 14 times throughout the course of this book half of those occur in this chapter and anytime, as we've studied before about studying the Bible, when you see a word or a phrase or, or a topic repeated over and over within a short space within the Scriptures, you better pay attention to that. And so this word hypocrisy is mentioned uh, over a half a dozen times just in this chapter itself. And so that word hypocrite comes from the greek word for an actor's mask you ever seen those masks those drama masks they'll have one that has a happy face on it a smiley face the other that has a sad face and it's like a uh, uh, just a makeup kind of mask that you could put over uh your face and and they used to actually wear those kind of masks so the 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 in a comedy Uh, which there were two types of plays in the Greek theater. There were comedies and there were tragedies. In the comedy, you would wear uh, a a huge smile with a mask. In, In a tragedy, it would be one that had a frown or a sad face. Whatever the mask, it represented the actor in character, not the real person. So in religion, too, according to Jesus, we also can play a part. In other words, our religious observance can mask who we truly are. And there's a lot of people who profess to be believers uh, that they're walking around with a mask on their face, presenting themselves to be Christians, presenting themselves to be believers. And if you looked at the mask, you might guess that they were. But behind the mask, they're empty. And so that's what we're going to see here because this chapter here teaches us some of the important characteristics of hypocrisy uh, in religion. It also tells us where hypocrisy comes from, uh, from proclaiming or professing one thing but not practicing it. And that's what we see in verse 3. He says, listen to what they're saying, and we're going to get more in depth to that here in just a moment. But he says, don't do what they're doing. And so the first thing I want you to see from this passage tonight is this, is to recognize the core of a counterfeit. Now, if you, if you work at a bank, and Scarlet Scarlett does... How do you know uh, what what a counterfeit dollar bill looks like? If you work in the retail industry, uh, you wanna make sure that you know what the original, what the real McCoy looks like. You study it backwards and forwards so that when you see a counterfeit, it stands out uh, against uh, the the original. Now we have other methods too that we do. We put them under these certain kind of lights. You can take those little pins that they pull out at the register all the time to to mark on the bill that, that disappears there, but it lets them know That it's genuine Uh, that's the way we uh, examine things to see if they're counterfeit well we need to recognize the core of a counterfeit and we see that in verse 1 through verse 3 more to the point Jesus here as we look is primarily talking to the crowds and the disciples about the Pharisees. So he had been answering their questions, the Pharisees, the scribes, uh, the Sadducees, the Herodians. He had been answering their questions, but now he turns to the crowd. Now he turns to the disciples and he begins to talk about the scribes and the Pharisees. And that's what he says in verse one and verse two. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So in other words, uh, what we're going to see here is, is Jesus recognizes the teaching authority that the Pharisees possessed. Moses was the one who had been the lawgiver, who gave uh, the people the law that God had given to him. And the Pharisees were seen as having the responsibility to continue to teach the law. Now that word seat uh, in the English there is from the Greek word "cathedra," which it gives us our English word cathedral. Uh, It originally referred to the seat or position of ecclesiastical authority or of church authority, if you will. If you think about it in this respect, in a college or a university or seminary, you have certain chairs uh, uh, that a professor holds in a certain discipline. Uh, So you might have a a chair of a certain science uh, in a a university uh, or a college. So they, they hold an authority to teach in that area over that certain discipline. They're recognized as an authority. And so, in fact, when the you think about when the pope, when the pope speaks uh, in his full church authority, uh, he is said to be speaking in ex cathedra, in in other words, out of authority there. Uh, and so, the Pharisees. Uh, They were like that. They were the most respected authorities uh, of their day. Today, uh, they would have had a a huge following on social media. Uh, They dotted every I. They crossed every T. Uh, When it came to the church, they never missed Uh, going to the synagogue. They always tithe. It it reminds me of a t-shirt that one time said, May your life someday be as awesome as you make it appear to be on Facebook. You know, when you look at those social media pictures, we put the best out there, don't we? We don't put our hair all messed up and when we just got out of bed, we put what the, the day looked like. We don't post uh, the picture. Now, I do. I post the pictures of the storms because <laughs> I like chasing the storms. But, but you post the beautiful pictures uh, and, and you post the beautiful pictures about yourself. And, and, you know, outside these Pharisees, they gave every indication that they were walking with God. They were giving every indication outside that they knew God, that they were close to God. And when it came to being religious and devout, they would have got an A+. Outside, it looked like they had earned the right to be, if you will, the go-to gurus, the persons that people would go to for any kind of spiritual or moral or ethical question that anybody might have. But then Jesus adds... So he acknowledges their seat of authority. They sit on Moses' seat. But notice what he says in verse 3. He says, so do and observe what they tell you, but not their works they do, for they preach but do not practice. So on the one hand, you could give these Pharisees, these holy hypocrites, if you will, these counterfeit Christians, so to speak, their due. By and large, oftentimes what they taught was true. They taught people uh, that they should keep the Ten Commandments. They believed in one God. They believed in the resurrection. The Pharisees did. If you looked at the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. So that's a way to remember that. Uh, They believed, the Pharisees believed in in heaven and hell. And we should too. But then, if you know anything about Jesus and the Pharisees, you might stop and say, well, wait just a minute. Jesus didn't agree with everything that they taught. In fact, the entire Sermon on the Mount is somewhat of a rejection of what the Pharisees were teaching, and you would be right. But what Jesus meant was that anything that anybody teaches that's true, you should believe particularly if it lines up with God's truth in God's word. Because all truth is God's truth. So remember this, even a broken clock is right twice a day. That's why even though as Christians we believe that all other religions outside of Christianity are ultimately wrong, that doesn't mean that they're always wrong. There is truth that can be found in every religion, uh, and, and that's the core of a counterfeit. A counterfeit looks like the real thing in other words it's not totally opposite of the real thing it tries to look like the real thing and sometimes it can even teach things that are right at the end of the day what makes a counterfeit counterfeit isn't what it looks like on the outside but the fact that what is on the outside doesn't really match up personally and especially with a person on what is on the inside, which is why Jesus said the problem wasn't so much what they were preaching, but what they were practicing. In essence, Jesus said most of the time you can believe what the Pharisees are telling you, what they are saying, what they are teaching, but don't ever behave the way they act. Believe them when they teach truth, but don't be like them in the way they live it out privately because they're not living out what they're teaching you. Which then leads Jesus to the second part of his sermon, which teaches us to recognize the clues to a counterfeit. Recognize the clues to a counterfeit. So Jesus' biggest problem with these Pharisees, and and the biggest problem, frankly, that unbelievers have with counterfeit Christians and hypocrites, is wrapped up in this sentence. So do and observe what they tell you, verse 3, and not the works they do, for they preach, but do not practice. It's kind of like the gossip that gossips about people who gossip. Uh, Keep in mind, everything Jesus is going to say goes back to this one major trait. Holy hypocrites, counterfeit Christians don't practice what they preach. And so then Jesus shares some signs of a counterfeit. Look at verse 4. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. So what was Jesus referring to when he says this? Well, it was really the source of the conflict that he had with the Pharisees because, you see, they were the very religious, very devout. uh, They were the the churchgoers, if you will. They always went to the synagogue. We said they dotted every theological I, crossed every theological T. They were considered to be the holiest of the day. Here's what they did. They took the Old Testament and they calculated that it contained 248 Commandments and 365 prohibitions. Then not, they not only vowed to obey every single one of them, but they then went further. To make sure that they didn't break one of those rules, they made rules about the rules. To make sure that they kept the laws, they made laws about the laws. And so in the end, they came up with more than 1,500 additions to the law. So it wasn't what God said, it was what they said. And all that was eventually gathered into a book that is known today as the Mishnah. Uh, that wasn't enough though for them. So they made more rules about the rules uh, that they, they had already made in order to not break the rules that they had made about the rules that were not in the Scripture. They called this the Gemara. Together, the Gemara and the Mishnah were put together into what is known as the Talmud. Now, I don't have time to tell you all about that, but they went to ridiculous lengths to say what was right and what was wrong, what was lawful and what was not. They didn't always keep the law because nobody is perfect. It didn't matter. They demanded that everybody else keep the law perfectly or you had to suffer the consequences. So through the years, uh, the church has added their own rules and regulations. And then, just in case anybody wonders how holy and how righteous they are, uh, notice it goes on to tell that they put on a show. Look at verse 5. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Now, what's that all about? Well, the Israelites had been told by God in the earliest days uh, of the law, that the law was to be on their hands and on their foreheads. And what he meant was is that they were to carry the law in their hands and in their heart everywhere they went and live by it. For centuries, the legalists turned a spiritual command into a literal law which led them to build what was called phylacteries. These were boxes which contained bits of parchment inscribed with Scripture verses. If you go to Israel today, you'll see even Orthodox Jews still do this today, uh, wearing these boxes sometimes on their forehead, sometimes on their left arm. It'll have a strap on it, and they'll wrap that strap all the way around their arm to hold it tight there uh, on their hand. In Orthodox Judaism... Every boy is given a set of phylacteries on their 13th birthday. Where everyone else would have normal small boxes, the Pharisees, they got triple extra large boxes. Because after all, you need a big box for a big head. The tassels, you read about that there in verse 5, the fringes, uh, the fringes, the tassels, if you will, uh, that were worn on their garments would be double extra long. Because they wanted to make sure that they stood out from all the other people that came to the temple. So you would see them with their bigger box. You would see them with their bigger tassel. And you'd think, oh, man, I can never keep up with that guy. He's, he's got it all down. He knows the scripture backwards and forwards. He's living it. I, mean, he's, I can't ever be like that. They literally wore their religion, if you will, on their sleeve. And it was all for show. Notice Jesus continues in verse 6 and verse 7. He says, And they love the place of honor at feasts, and the best seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by others. So synagogues like churches today typically had a raised platform like we do uh, here in front where the leaders would sit. And they wanted to make sure, by sitting on that elevated platform, they were the center of attention so that all eyes could be locked on them from the beginning of the worship service to the end. And you never called them by their first name. They always wanted to be called rabbi. Rabbi. Call me rabbi. It'd be like me today saying, call me Dr. Norman, which I don't have a doctorate anyway, so... (laughs) But that would be kind of what they're saying. They wanted to be called rabbi. They wanted to be called like a doctor. They wanted to be called by the name. In fact, the Latin equivalent of rabbi comes from the Latin word docere, which means teach. It's where we get our English word doctor from. They loved to go by that title, rabbi. They wanted people to know that he's important, he's a rabbi, because they felt themselves they were important. These religious leaders of Jesus' day, they were good at placing religious duties like burdens on the shoulders of other people and parading their religion before others and being greeted and entitled rabbi. In short, they were self-exalting people who never applied to themselves the restrictions that they placed on the lives of others. So here's the mark of a counterfeit. They value human applause more than divine approval. That's why Jesus goes on to say to the crowd and to the disciples in verse 8, but you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher And you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. So Jesus was saying, it's not what people call you on the outside that gives you value. It's what God knows you are on the inside that counts so remember this is a counterfeit that wants you to follow them the real deal wants you to follow Jesus a counterfeit wants you to give uh, your money to to them for their greed the real deal wants you to give your money to the gospel and to the furtherance of God's kingdom so we we recognize there also as we come to verse 11 down through verse 39 we need to recognize the cure for a counterfeit, so look at the core of the counterfeit, see the clues of what a counterfeit should, what a counterfeit looks like, and then know that there is a cure for a counterfeit. And we see this in verse eleven through thirty-nine because Jesus ends up at the end here, as we're going to see, with a positive word and one last negative word. He warns the hypocritical beha- that hypocritical behavior will lead to ruin because God is the one who exalts the humble and humbles the proud. So first, he gives the cure for holy hypocrisy and counterfeit Christianity when you go to verse 11 and verse 12. Here's the cure. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be Exalted, so you see in those verses there that the cure for hypocrisy is humility, the humility to admit I've been living like a, like a hypocrite, and the humility to admit that hypocrisy lies within all of us, and the humility to make sure that we always put others above ourselves and ourselves behind others. All Jesus is saying here to us is very simple. Just be the real deal. Jesus doesn't expect us to be perfect people. There's not a perfect person on the face of this planet. Jesus was the only person who was and ever will be perfect. He expects us to be blameless believers and to just be real. Then he closes with the most horrific part Of a counterfeit notice verse 13 as he begins to go into the seven woes eight if you will see we'll talk about that eighth one uh, in just a moment but that we begin with the first one in verse 13 and so he says but woe to you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in so get the picture here what he's saying in this first woe this first warning if you will to the Pharisees the the worst thing about these Pharisees these hypocrites was not only were they lost in God's kingdom they were keeping other people from coming into God's kingdom Jesus came preaching grace The Pharisees harped on goodness, on works. Jesus came preaching faith. These Pharisees focused on function, if you will. By the way, this is true of all false religions. They deny grace, they deny faith, they deny the need for a savior, they deny the need for repentance, and they all teach the same thing, that salvation is not a gift you receive, it's a goal you achieve. It's works that you do. And so you see the very people that needed to come to God looked at these people who claimed to be close to God, and when they saw their hypocrisy, and then when they saw all these man-made rules and and these religious rituals uh, that they demanded, people said, forget you and forget your God. That's the first woe. They shut people out of the kingdom of God by their own example and their teaching. Here's the one that you may not find in every version. Uh, It is in the King James Version, but it's in verse 14. You'll see verse 14 here uh, on your screen. Uh, Verse 14 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive the greater condemnation. So what he's he's saying here in this woe is is that instead of mourning over your own sins and and mourning with, with needy widows, these Pharisees, they're taking advantage of these widows in order to rob them. They're using their religion as a cloak for covetousness. He's saying you're robbing others. And you're taking advantage of them then he says this woe" in verse 15 woe to you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites for you travel across sea and land and make a single proselyte and when he becomes a proselyte you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves you're a child of hell and you're making that proselyte twice what you are they travel the world to get a convert and then they, they teach him the same things they've been teaching others, that it's all about works, it's not about grace, and they make him worse than, than they are. And he's saying, woe to you, because you're, you're, you're leading other people to be children of hell. That's not the message of the gospel. Notice the fourth here, or the third, as we're going through these uh, seven here in the scriptures. You'll find it in verse 16. Woe to you blind guides who say... If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. What? If you're swearing by one, you're swearing by the other, is what he's saying. So, so what they do, he's saying, is you change the rules to suit yourselves, qualifying the requirements of God's law to allow latitude in some areas but not in others. He says in verse uh, verse 17, he goes on to talk about being blind. He says, you blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he's bound by his oath. You blind men, verse 19, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So then he goes on and he says, "So whoever swears by the altar swears by it swears by it and by everything on it. He says, "And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. And, and so in those verses there, uh, he, he says uh, that, that you're you're twisting uh, the the law to suit, Yourselves, He says you make minor things important while leaving major things uh, undone. Uh, that's what he goes on to talk about in verse 23. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done, without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. Can you swallow a camel? He's talking in in hyperbole here. He's talking as a metaphor here. He's making an absurd uh, distinction here. Uh, You're straining at a gnat, but you're swallowing a camel. You're, You're making minor things important, but you're leaving the major things undone. Notice verse 25 to verse 26. He says, you're concerned with external purity while inside you're unclean. So notice verse 25. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. They're concerned about what they look like on the outside, but it's nasty on the inside. Notice in verse 27 and verse 28, here's how you're a hypocrite. You appear to be morally upright before others, even though you yourself are full of lawlessness. Verse 27. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You stink like dead men's bones. You appear to be morally upright on the outside but you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness on the inside. And then he says this in verse 29 through verse 33 in this last woe. In verse 29 he says, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, "'for you build the tombs of the prophets.'" to hell. Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes some of which will kill you will kill and crucify and some you will flog in your synagogue and prosecute from town to town so that you may come all that uh, so, so that on you may come all that righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakai, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. That's the kind of behavior that never pleases God. So Jesus tells his hearer that there's nothing new in all of this. It goes all the way back to Abel who was murdered at the beginning of human history and comes all the way right down to the murder of Zechariah in the temple. Where was Zechariah murdered? Between the sanctuary and the altar. Not off out yonder somewhere in the wilderness. Not off out yonder in some godless city. No, he was murdered there between uh, the temple between the, the the sanctuary and the altar there at the temple and so we see here god's true followers have been persecuted by those who profess to be the true church understand this and what he's saying to the pharisees and what he's saying to us if we become hypocrites a day of reckoning is coming god will not be mocked notice what happened the prophetic ministry of jesus includes the authority to speak in judgment over others Uh, Alistair Wilson says this he said in pronouncing these woes Jesus was not merely attacking verbally those who did not agree with him but he was formally pronouncing judgment on the Jewish leaders in a way that implies that he had the authority to do such a thing in other words remember what they had been questioning before by what authority do you do these things and so now Jesus professes judgment upon them, professing, I have the authority, and so I'm putting a judgment on you because of your hypocritical lives. So both the actions of riding into Jerusalem uh, and, and, and there, the, uh, the, the, the entry, the great triumphal entry uh, on that donkey, the cleansing of the temple, the cursing of the fig tree and the teaching of these chapters portrays Jesus as the king whose words are authoritative and true. None of this, though, that we see here, none of what Jesus says in these woes, and this judgment that he's pronouncing upon these people is uttered, though, as some kind of cold, heartless denunciation upon these people. In fact, Jesus deplores their behavior in the deepest sense. Notice what he does in verse 37. Old Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not. He weeps. He weeps over Jerusalem. Jerusalem had so many privileges. They had enjoyed so many blessings. I don't know about you, but the nation in which we live in, we have enjoyed so many privileges. We have enjoyed so many blessings. And notice how Israel responded to all that. They responded by killing the messengers of God just like the parable of the tenants that we read about before it wasn't for any reason in god God, that, that in god that that jerusalem didn't enjoy the blessings of god's covenant salvation in jesus christ god had come down to jerusalem david's son the messianic king had come into jerusalem and so jesus here begins to zoom in on on his point of reference And what he's telling them is, all down through the ages, God has been doing something. He's been making a way for the Messiah to come. And what Jesus has been doing over these past three years is he's been pleading with Jerusalem to repent. You know what he's doing today? He is pleading for us to repent. Instead, Jerusalem, he says, is now on the brink of shedding innocent blood again, this time by rejecting the very Messiah they've been looking for, by rejecting Jesus Christ himself. But you know what's interesting? Of all the gospel writers, nobody talks about the Pharisees more and in a more negative way than Matthew did. He mentions them 28 times. And I think I know why. You remember what Matthew was before he came to Christ? He was a tax collector. He was hated by the Pharisees. He was looked upon as the most lost of all the lost. And if it had not been for Jesus, Matthew would have died Lost because of these holy hypocrites, these counterfeit Christians. Remember what was said of them? He said back in verse 13, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Wow. Let me ask you this. If you say here tonight, you're watching online, if you say you're a believer, if people watch you and they listen to you and they observe the way you live your life, are you more of a barrier to Jesus or are you a bridge to Jesus? A poet wrote these very powerful words. It is all in vain to preach the truth to eager ears of the trusting youth. If whenever the lad is standing by, he sees you cheat and hears you lie. I don't want you to read this text as if it was something Jesus was talking about 2,000 years ago. When you read and you hear this text tonight, I want you to look into the mirror of God's word and ask yourself this question, Lord, am I a holy hypocrite? Am I... A counterfeit Christian am I shutting the kingdom of heaven in people's faces by saying one thing but doing something else contrary to God's Word when you do that I want you to pray Lord take anything out of my life that would be a barrier to Jesus and make me a bridge to Jesus The philosopher from India, Gandhi, once said this. What a sad word he said. I like your Christ. I just don't like your Christians. Because your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Remember Mark Twain? We uplift Mark Twain sometimes. We like his stories. But Mark Twain said this. If Christ were here, there's one thing he wouldn't want to be. A Christian so recognize the core of a counterfeit recognize the clues to being a counterfeit so that you can see within your own heart before God has to say to you "Woe, judgment be upon you recognize there is a cure for a counterfeit for you to humble yourself before the Lord and to be filled with his presence to be filled with his spirit Let me just say this in closing. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're watching online and you're not a follower of Jesus, don't get bit by the hypocrite. What what I mean by that is don't let a hypocrite keep you out of heaven. And if you're a follower of Jesus, don't be a counterfeit. Because there's nothing worse that Jesus hates than holy hypocrisy and counterfeit Christianity. Woe, woe. Whoa, woe, 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 woe. Seven times he had to say it. If you don't get the point, you never will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a powerful word from Matthew twenty three. And what a powerful challenge for us to look into the mirror of your word. To examine our own hearts and to ask am I being a hypocrite am I being a counterfeit Christian am I being a barrier to keeping people from Christ or am I building bridges to people to come to Christ Father, I pray that as we truly heartily examine our hearts in this word, Father, I pray that we will come to the place of confession and repentance, just like you were calling Jerusalem for all those years to repentance. You're calling us to the place of repentance tonight whether it's as an unbeliever to repent and to turn to Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, or whether it's as a believer to repent of your hypocrisy and to humble yourself before the Lord and to admit what He already knows is in your life. To humble yourself so that He can begin to do the work in your life, to make you more and more into the image of Christ, to not just profess to be like Christ, but to truly live like Christ from the inside Lord, bless your word tonight and in the days ahead as we think on it, as we pray on it. And Father, I pray that we will continue to press forward into this world as believers, seeking to be more than we've ever been before, more like Jesus, more like Jesus, in whose precious name we pray, amen. As we stand, as we sing our hymn of invitation, number 312, softly and tenderly, will you come tonight as the Lord lays on your heart to come? Thank you. For being here tonight we'll be back wednesday at six o'clock for our regular bible study time and then choir practice after that children will be here for 5 30 for awana and then don't forget next sunday morning we'll have our sunrise service at seven o'clock breakfast following that and then sunday school at our regular time at 9 15 and then worship at ten thirty. so you come and join us it's going to be a wonderful day as we worship and celebrate the resurrection of our lord jesus christ you have a blessed day that you stay safe this week and we'll see you this wednesday you <laughs>